Okay, it's five o'clock. It's Wednesday, the 27th of January, 2021. Got that right? And we're here to talk about uh, the developments in technology around finance, insurance, banking. And we've invited Eugene Tang, who is the business editor of the South China Morning Post, very deeply involved in this report. Uh, he's working, talking to us from home, as a few of you are. I see there's a few people on the call. We've got people from Australia, Vietnam, US. Thanks for joining us. What we'll do is, um, as you join, please, if you can, put your name and, and LinkedIn profile in the chat so people can connect to you. It's the closest we get to networking in this environment, um, which is the main reason I set up Web Wednesday back in 2006, was to learn and network. And today we're going to focus on, it's quite a meaty report. So if you want to get your hands on it, you can go to scmp.research.com, sorry, research.scmp.com and use this discount code, WebWen20, and you get uh, a 20% off. It's a very good report. I've read it myself, which is uh, why I'm able to do this interview. And I you know, obviously have it, knowledge in the industry. So let's get into it. Eugene, you are originally from Malaysia, I understand. That's right. And you studied, you studied uh, economics, right? How did you... How do you go from being a master in economics to a journalist? I have always wanted to be a journalist. I think um, I've always enjoyed uh, dealing with information. Um, I've always enjoyed analyzing uh, numbers and I've always been gripped uh, since young. I've always been gripped by this um, curiosity to know who owns what. Uh, that's always my, that's always been my um, sort of a signature question. Every time I, I, I go downtown or, or go along a street, I would ask who owns that tower, who owns that building, who owns that shop, who owns that house. And that sense of curiosity um, sort of expanded into an overall um, desire to know about things and analyze things. And that, that what, that's what drove me to journalism. And you, so you went into uh you working for was it bloomberg first before you joined scmp or what, what was the uh, i spent most of my i've been a journalist business journalist for what 26 seven years now i started off with a small business newspaper in malaysia called the edge um three and a half years later i joined bloomberg i spent most of my time at bloomberg more than a decade 14 years at bloomberg then i i was heading the um china bureau in in uh, in beijing and then I left Bloomberg for a brief spell on the commercial side of news at the Wall Street Journal Dow Jones. And then I joined uh, South China Morning Post just as the Alibaba was, uh, uh, was, became the new owner in uh, 2015, 2016. Excellent. Well, we, since then, we've had uh, two or three interviews of SCMP staff. So that, that was good. The most recent one was about the internet in China. I'm interesting, interested to see how it's, narrowed down from the internet overall to uh, fintech. And one of, one of the things that I found quite eye-opening in reading this report is that unlike other countries, it's not necessarily lots of small, nimble startups that are driving this. It seems to be that it's the people or the companies, the corporations, you know, the, the big tech of China who are driving innovation in banking and insurance. Um, you know, we've always known them as as BAT, right, uh, Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent. But in the report, uh, I realized you had Jingdong, JD, 
and a totally non-tech, well, originally non-tech company, Ping An, which is a very old insurance company, which is now uh, leading all of these uh, five companies now leading, leading the whole uh, throws into, into fintech. So maybe you could explain to us a little bit about why, why it started amongst these companies rather than kind of nimble tech startups as you might have in, say, Silicon Valley or in Europe. Sorry, the question is why these uh, tech companies are leading the fintech revolution? Yes, rather than uh, more nimble startups. Um, I think one of the one of the things you will notice with this is that um, uh, a lot of these um, companies all start with a, a big captive uh, user base. So in the case of Alibaba, it was the uh, nearly a billion now uh, users who use their online shopping. Uh, Taobao and Tmall. Uh, in the case of Tencent, uh, the people who use their uh, WeChat service and also play the games. Um, in the case of Baidu, uh, it's the dominant internet search engine in China. So therefore a huge um, population of people who uh, regularly use their search. Uh, Pingang, of course, has this um, uh, big, it's, it's the biggest uh, insurance company in China. So again, a big user base. So from that unique, um, loyal uh, base of customers and users, they are able to layer on applications, um, services, um, and harvest data from the user base, uh, their usage habits, um, their reading habits, their shopping habits, um, where they go, um, and all that information, all that data is now able to um, feed on each other and basically uh, create this network effect. And with that, they're able to um, really accelerate and spearhead experiments in FinTech. So if we define uh, FinTech as how technology is being used to um, improve or enhance financial services, that's the origin, that's the basis of it. Um, you start with a very loyal um, core group of users uh, that constantly feed you with data, um, with usage, with traffic, and with revenue, and that is being used to uh, feed off the, the rest. That's quite interesting. So that's very different to um, you know, a lot of the startups I know, particularly in Hong Kong or other markets, they come up with the algorithms and the software, but they don't have the data, right? So they're out there, you know, they, they need the data to prove their models. So you're saying it's the other way around in China, is that these large companies have lakes of data and they're developing services off the back of that around finance and insurance, right? That's right, that's right. Um, and what, what um, I think, you know, in, in the report, it breaks down various areas. So maybe we, we could uh, approach some of these. I like, I like the fact that Jack Ma didn't call it fintech he's in true jack ma style he's given it another name right he's called it tech fin um which, which i guess means technology companies driving financial change rather than financial companies driving technology change precisely um and one of the things i saw uh, and I, this was quite an eye-opener to me is that actually these big tech companies in china are working very very closely with uh chinese banks it's not a case of us and them, kind of the disruption thing that you might have, say, on the east and west coast of the US. Can you explain that a little bit and how that relationship works? 
Um, I think in the case of uh, both, uh, if, you, if you look at all these uh, fintech companies, whether it's Alipay doing the payments, uh, WeChat Pay, um, they are not licensed uh, the way uh, traditional banks are to take deposits. So uh, they pretty much uh, work in, a, in an asset light kind of fashion. Um, their, their core business, or if you will, their um, strength is not to take money and make money out of money. Um, their, 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 their core strength is the use of data, um, technology, uh, augmented by artificial intelligence, uh, the powers of clock computing uh, on, the, on the basis of a strong, loyal um, customer base, uh, and how all that come together to improve financial services. So they're not there, they're not created to, with, a, with, a, with a mission to disrupt um, traditional banking. Um, in a way, in a lot of ways, they are there to answer a need uh, for a lot of the, 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 service, the, the, the services which traditional banks or traditional insurance companies, uh, traditional financial trusts, uh, asset management companies, or even stockbrokers are not able to provide. So it's a, it's a supplementary uh, relationship rather than a mutually exclusive, disruptive relationship. Uh, do you think that's, uh, I mean, on the surface, it sounds a lot more effective than the kind of banging heads model that we seem to have, uh, you know, in, in the West. Do you think this is a much better way to work with these established industries? Um, it works up to, <laughs> it works up to a point, right? Um, I mean, I think, I think um, objectively speaking, uh, after a decade and a half of very rapid development in the fintech sphere. Uh, it's now come to a stage where um, regulators are, are, are sort of uh, taking a, a, a um, sitting up and saying, okay, let's, uh, let's regroup and, and take a look at this very rapid um, develop, development in the, in, in the industry. Um, what is exactly the relationship between technology and finance? Uh, what is the role of fintech? Should uh, fintech be regulated as, as banks or should they be regulated as technology companies? Uh, how much money do you put into this application? How, how much money do you put into that uh, service? How much skin do you have in the game? Uh, all those are questions which uh, have not really been uh, debated before. Uh, in the industry, and now they're become they're coming to the fore. So you're saying for a while, with ten years or so, it's been a bit wild west. We've had a lot of kind of. I know when peer to peer first started in China, there was you know within months there was thousands of companies offering offering peer to peer lending, right? And then suddenly it took a while before there was that before the regulatory body got down and said, look, this is crazy. People don't really understand what's going on. We need to clean this up. Right. So I, so I guess you're saying one of one of the disadvantages that you have lots of slightly messy startups come into the market with no real uh, target apart from maybe making quick money. Right, take, a, take a look at uh, um, WeChat Pay's uh, growth. Uh, WeChat Pay is uh, seven years old. Mm. Um, it, really, it really only began to, 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 to take off and be, be established. In, uh, uh, it was in 2013. 
Right. So uh, within that space of time, uh, that, that span of time, it's taken up what? Uh, nearly 40% of China's uh, online payments uh, market. And it all started with uh, sending each other uh, red packets, red digital packet. red packets at Chinese New Year, which is about to happen again. So it, it is quite amazing, really. I guess they had they had the footprint, right? So they could they could launch a very simple red packet service, which is I like what I like about it as a marketer is the tapping into the culture and just allowing people to do it in a more easy way, right? They weren't they weren't going out there trying to tell people this is a new way to do digital payment, you know, swipe a scan a QR code, they just said, send somebody a, a red packet, which seems a very nice way to, to launch a service. Right. Again, you start with, uh, first of all, you start with this huge user base of uh, WeChat users, customers. At that time, it was a very simple service. It was pure networking, right? Because yeah. Facebook was not available in, in, in China and people were using um, uh, WeChat to, to network. And it was not the only uh, networking service at that time. There was uh, Renren, um, people who have been are in China long enough, you you probably remember something called Momo. Um, so all these networking uh, services were available for people to just chat, uh, exchange photos, and all of a sudden um, they decided that they want to tag on a financial service. And the way a good way to kick it off was during a festive season when when everybody was giving, literally giving each other money, and from there the stickiness. Um, the stickiness of the application of the service of the usage habit just grew and grew. What I find fascinating is that, you know, in the startup world, there's always, as the venture capitalists always look at you and say, have you got a, a product market fit, which sounds kind of slightly obvious, but I, I guess what you're saying is that a lot of startups always, they have an idea, they have a thing they want to change. They've always got to go out and find the market for that idea, right? I think what you just described is actually these companies already have the customers. They already understand them there very, very well because of the data that they collect off them. So they're able to almost like design products uh, and test them on that data. Is, is that what they do? Do you, I don't know if you know them well enough to know this, but do they, do they kind of take elements of data and say, right, this is an interesting mutual fund or this is an investment product. Let's test it on this data and see if there's an appetite for it. Yep, exactly. It, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's the reverse, as you put it. It's the reverse. So you start with uh, a um, user base of let's say 100 million who um, regularly use you. They spend X amount of time on you every day for the core service, and you know that they spend X dollar per person uh, over that period. So what can you do with this uh, royal user base? What else do they need? What else do they want to buy? What else can I layer on to? What 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 other need um, in their daily lives can I can I provide? Basically, that's interesting. Is I love it when people talk about China numbers because it's like yeah, I just take hundred million people and do a test. In Hong Kong, we're going let's try hundred thousand or ten thousand. And you know, 10, in 000. Europe, it's like <laughs> ten thousand, maybe even a thousand. It's a bit like testing COVID, really. Um, okay. So. Let's get into the actual product. So, um, because the, the report is very interesting that you break down the kind of development of these products, right? So we've, you've mentioned that these companies, uh, Baidu, Tencent, Alibaba, Jingdong, and Pingan have access to all this data. Where was the first kind of tranche of, of services they, that they got into when it came to, to FinTech? I guess, I guess payments, the first one, right? We talked about red packets and, 
Alibaba off the back of their huge e-commerce giant Taobao and Tmall obviously launched Alipay to Fubao, right? So where do they take it? What then took them? You know, that seems makes a lot of sense if you're selling games or if you're selling product through online shops. What made them then want to go slightly deeper into the, the kind of banking world? It's um, it, it's it's in a way it's organic, right? Let's start start with Alibaba. So you 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 have a, a payment service that was originally created to uh, help merchants pay for their their their, their product. Right, it was originally a business to business kind of a, a service, and then they went into business to consumer, where whereby individuals like you and I can go to a Taobao or Tmall and and buy something. Now you need you need a, a payment platform uh, to pay for this. Traditional banks were not providing this service. Um, credit cards were very uh, virtually unavailable in, 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 in China. Uh, PayPal was not in, in China. So they created this, they extended this service for individual consumers to, to pay for the products. Then once you start doing that, you have a lot of money that is circulating within that system, within that platform. Uh, money that merchants uh, make from customers and customers with money in their account uh, that is sitting there waiting to, um, to be used for the next uh, shopping cart, right? What do you do with that money? It's a lot of money uh, when, you, when, you, when you have a population of China, when you have uh, hundreds of millions of users, uh, a billion users every single day. There's a lot of money. Do you recall the sums by any chance? I, I think it's, it's trillions of, hundreds of trillions of RMB, right? I mean, it's, it's huge. Oh, yeah, of, of money. So, so that money can, um, can be invested in the overnight markets. Uh, that money can be invested in the in the in the um, asset management. So very quickly, um, you find that Alipay becomes a the world's largest um, money market fund. Right? You can with that you can also invite uh, partners, uh, providers of financial services, whether it's traditional banks or traditional asset management companies, to come in and and offer their offer their funds. You layer that on. Um, you can so that's post- where they came up. That's where they launched Uabao, right? Uabao, that's right. Which, which has, well, according to your report, it has what eight hundred million users in twenty nineteen. I guess, yeah, I guess there's a lot more people by now. Uh, I don't yes. know. I don't know if it's so. Uabao so, is the is the money market fund you're talking fund. about. And how how does that mechanism actually work? Uh, as in money market, you're you're just you 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 give cash to Ali. Alibaba and they store it through like a fund or how, did, how does it, how does it actually work from that a user fund, perspective? So that you can subscribe to a, a, a range of um, financial services um, from provided by third party partners, right? Okay. Uh, all these third party partners will sell their funds uh, on that platform and you can select whatever tenure or whatever investment horizon uh, that fits your, 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 your risk appetite. So in a way, in a way, Eurobar becomes uh, like an independent financial advisor. You've just got, do they give advice or they just give it to you like a supermarket where you can just go and choose, is there some kind of categorization or uh, is there some automatic robo, robo investing going on or is it purely you just go and pick and choose? It's more, more of a financial marketplace than, and, 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 than an advisor. Um, they, okay. they, they, all these, um, based on your, 
based on your shopping uh, pattern, uh, we know that they, they know what kind of a risk uh, profile you have. And they certain certain um, products may be, may be uh, more suitable to your uh, risk profile. Uh, AI can come in and, and uh, provide that level of insight. So rather than doing the kind of clumsy risk profiling that we get in Hong Kong, where you, you sit down with a person and they take you through and they tell you you're, you know, you're risk adverse or highly speculative, you're saying this has been done behind the scenes with data that's analyzing your behavior in terms of your, what you buy on, on Alipay or what you're doing with WePay and then recommends right. to you relevant funds. That's right. So um, investment is one thing. So once, once you have um, customers who need to use that uh, financing, um, lending or credit loans become uh, the next step. Mm. You're buying something and you find that your um, balance is 200 quai short, right? Um, maybe a, a quick, quick uh, small consumer loan. Um, you are a merchant and you have to take in an order. You are also, you are maybe 10,000 quite short. Uh, you need to take a, take a quick loan from, from the platform. That is being able to, again, it's an additional uh, add-on service that they can quickly branch into. And you said it's interesting, is that, that those loans, um, I think you, you mentioned that if a traditional bank will take a while to kind of lend you that, particularly if you're a business, you're, you're saying some of that because of the analytics and the data the, the, you know, these big guys have, they can turn around that loan in, what was it, uh, quote, correct me if I'm wrong, seven minutes, seven seconds, what was it, some uh, yeah, very short period it, of time? Uh, it's a split seconds um, because split seconds. because because all these all these uh, big data is able and and, and the, the the power of computing um, your shopping habit uh, is is known um, from that shopping habit you are able to they're, they're able to see have pretty much uh, create a profile picture of who you are what your okay. what what your tendencies are. Um, what your payment uh, history has been because you, 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 you are a shopper or you are a merchant on that platform. So all that record is available. And I guess a bit like, you know, in the States you have, what is it called, Axiom, or you have, in the States they use your postal address to kind of slightly qualify you. I guess here they have all that data as well, right? They have your telephone number, they have the address, so they can use various data points to, to grade you as, as, a, as a, a, a borrower of money. Right. One of the one of the interesting uh, aspects that we found out um, from looking at this was uh, addresses uh, where your your physical uh, uh, shop or, or or your virtual shop is your address actually mm. and traffic condition actually affects your uh, ability to pay. So, for example, if you are in a in a part of town that is um, uh, go, where the road or the highway in front of your house is going through a construction period. Uh, traffic has been held up. Uh, chances are that your um, business is going to be affected, and that would impact on your ability to repay. So interesting. Uh, that's interesting. Is you know every time I've been to China, it's, it's exactly the scenario you described. There's construction everywhere, right? Um, I guess this is also even more relevant nowadays with COVID because they're able to look at the traffic and guess whether your business is is doing well or not based on, on people's movement, although recently that, that's not such an issue. Um, but uh, obviously, so let's, let's look a little bit into, I think what's interesting here is in the evolution from payment 
into currency, right? Um, you know, when I was a little kid in England, uh, the first thing I heard about China um, was that they had invented gunpowder and money, right? Or paper money. So um, tell us why China, why the Chinese government would want to go uh, down the route of, of digital currency. And I, I know you educated me before, the currency we're talking about here is, is you know, official government currency rather than cryptocurrency. But maybe you could explain, I mean, considering you've got these big players that like Alipay and, and WePay, who've got such a commanding position in the market, why would the government want to launch their own digital currency? Um, there are several, several, several things to unpack here. Um, I think the, the, the first thing to start with is uh, your payment platforms, uh, whether it's Alipay or WeChat Pay or JD or any, any, anybody creating a e-payment platform. Uh, these platforms are not minting money, right? Yeah, these are just wallets of, of, okay. of, of one, one sort or another. Stored value is what we call them. Stored value, right? right. Stored, yeah. Correct. So Napoleon uh, makes his salary or gets his money from a source of income that is, uh, is put into the financial system. Uh, he transfers a bit of that onto a WeChat Pay account or uh, a um, Alipay account. You use that for consumption, for consuming you are actually, nobody's minting that money. Alipay is not minting money, WeChat Pay is not minting money. That money still comes from the central bank. But the central bank also wants to have a, um, also recognizes that money is now becoming, cash is becoming digital now, nowadays in China. So you need to be able to get into the game whereby you have a say in how all these things are being run. So there are several advantages of having uh, digital cash. Um, it's classified uh, as the same as what we call M0. So it's, it is basically a digital version of your dollars and notes. Uh, dollars I and remember cents. that from my basic economics. M0 is the, the money supply, right? In the, right, the, money, in the, yeah, in the country, uh, right? Basic money. cash flowing around. So, so they add right. it to the money supply. So it's a, it's, a digital, it's a digital form of it. Okay. Uh, but by making it digital, um, you start to be able to um, have a clearer picture of how money flows, how money is used. The data that is uh, behind it can show you how money flows from A to B to C to E to D to E, right? Uh, the path of money um, would actually accelerate um, and amplify the ability of um, the financial regulators or the government uh, if they want to do in, in terms of monetary policy. Um, the, the thing about monetary policy is when you, when you raise an interest rate or when you cut an interest rate is something that affects the cost of money across, across the board. It's a very, it, it, is, it is typically a very uh, blunt instrument to achieve an objective. And this has been tried before. Um, earlier on in the last year, when China was going through the first few months of the coronavirus, um, some local governments were trying to uh, inject some money into the, into the local community to stimulate um, uh, demand and, and help some of the local communities uh, relieve their financial stress. So they 
partnered with, um, in one case with Alipay, in another case uh, with WeChat Pay, and they distributed the money uh, just like that digital hongbao that you were talking about with WeChat Pay through that platform. And that platform was, that platform is, is able to immediately tell um, the local authorities whether the, that money has been spent, where that money is spent, how that money is spent, and you can immediately uh, detect and uh, monitor the efficacy of that stimulus. So rather than cutting interest rates that affects the entire country that is not uh, being uh, felt in the same way across the entire country, you, have a, you, can, you can do a very surgical um, stimulus policy. And that is something that can be done with the use of digital cash, digital currency. It's interesting. That's very topical. I mean, in the States, right, they're doing this PPP. And I, I bet you they would love to know where that money is going. Is that for all sense and purposes, it seems like it's going to the wrong people and being put in the stock market rather than, rather than being spent on, on the right things. So I guess what you're saying is one of the purposes is, is the ability to see transparently into when you, when you do some kind of boost to the economy, where that money is going, right? Where it's being That's spent. Right. That's right. The other, the other one, I guess, is I, I read in the report you were saying that there were some other functions. Like at the moment, when you pay, it's all through QR codes, you know, which are uh, they're everywhere in China, like a rash. But and that it introduces new technology like NFC, where you don't, you know, near field technology. We just basically clink a phone against something rather than having to scan something. That doesn't sound so revolutionary, but I guess the idea that you can make it interoperable and you can manage money across or you can pay across all platforms is to me would be appealing, right? That's right. That's right. And how about the issue of, of you know, of, I guess, anonymity? I mean, we know that uh, in, in China, people are sensitive and not as sensitive, say, as Germany or, or the UK or whatever. How does that, that work? You mentioned uh, controllable anonymity, I think is what it's called. So how does, how does the anonymity part of it work? Because if, if you had the government spotting everything you were spending money on, surely that's a bit nerve-wracking. That uh, somehow doesn't seem to have uh, uh, caused too much of a of a of a problem. Um, I don't know. I think I think I think um, Chinese users uh, have a, have a very strong um, propensity to embrace uh, all that is new. Uh, try uh, everything that is new. Um, the uh, smartphone is everywhere; it's ubiquitous in 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 China. Uh, close to a billion uh, smart uh, phones in circulation, of which uh, what two out of every three phone is uh, is classified as a smartphone. Um, and there's there's no hesitation of uh, embracing uh, e-payment. Uh, or any of these kinds of, uh, of technology. Okay, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think if it, if it parlayed into Hong Kong, we'd all be a little bit more nervous about it. Um, talking about Hong Kong, where do you see, you know, you're here, I'm here, and Hong Kong is a financial center. Uh, and I, funnily enough, I did a little poll when we first decided to put this event together uh, on LinkedIn saying, you know, does Hong Kong have a chance of surviving? You know, is, is it an innovator in finance? And the answer was yes or no chance. 70% of the people said no chance. <laughs> so they, didn't, they weren't particularly positive about it. And these are people, I guess, mostly live in Hong Kong, that Hong Kong is positioned to be a kind of financial or a fintech innovator. 
Um, I know that we have a few companies like WeLab and I mean, Ping An has kind of moved here and there's a lot of people, a lot of the, these fintech companies doing IPOs here, but really as, as a center of innovation for technology around banking and insurance, do you think there is a role for Hong Kong? Um, I'm sure there is a role, um, but the, the role will be different and probably not very comparable with uh, uh, what you're seeing in mainland China. Now, don't forget that um, the reason that all these uh, gi fintech giants are able to thrive and grow so big is because they, they served a purpose, they solved a, so, uh, they solved a problem uh, in, the, in, in, in usage. Uh, in the case of uh, WeChat Pay, it was to enable a wildly popular super app to double as a wallet, right? Mm. Because you are using that super app for your daily interaction. So that payment, the ability to pay for your meal, pay for your utilities, to pay for whatever, is just an extension of that need. For Alipay, it was to solve the need to do business. Um, banks, traditional banks, were not willing to lend money to small consumers to pay for your shopping mm. or your uh, a small merchant to pay for your whatever goods you're trading. So that service served that purpose. Now, Hong Kong's uh, fintech future depends on what the solutions, uh, what, what, what these uh, service providers, what solutions they offer, what problems are they trying to solve? Um, Hong Kong is one of the most overbanked societies, cities in the world. There are 165 licensed banks in Hong Kong. For, uh, Does that mean for, we all have multiple accounts? It's a bit like mobile phone accounts in China. We've got two SIM cards, three SIM cards. Is, why is this overbanked? Is it just the, the nature of the immigrant population here who stick with the Zhejiang Bank or, the, or stick with their, their clan? I, I don't know. I think it's, 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 it's history. It's, it's the yeah. history of the way um, that uh, pretty much, pretty much uh, everybody, anybody that uh, early on who asked for a bank license were, was able to get one. So you have 165 licensed banks, but there are a handful of banks that dominate the majority of the business, you know, whether it's a loans business or savings, the deposits, asset management or whatever, or wealth management business with a lot of small banks fighting for scraps of, of, of the business. Now, somewhere in there, there, there is a problem and there are probably a myriad of problems in the traditional banking, banking world, which is why um, Hong Kong's uh, government has uh, created, uh, Hong Kong Money Authority has uh, awarded multiple uh, virtual bank mm. uh, licenses. There are eight of them uh, given out. Uh, this is one way of um, addressing the, uh, of forcing innovation and uh, among the traditional brick and mortar banks. Now, of course, that's not the only way of doing it because virtual banks are at the end of the day, still banks. Uh, obviously they are because they are virtual by, by uh, virtue of the fact that they are virtual, they, are, they have to embrace FinTech a little bit more uh, closely than your traditional banks, but they are not in a way, um, you know, strictly speaking, fintech companies. A lot of other fintech startups that you're familiar with uh, probably uh, offer some kind of solution uh, that can solve a problem within the banking world. Now, that solution can either be um, 
bought over by a bank to enhance and improve an existing bank's mm. services, make a bank even more efficient, more powerful. Um, or it can be set up in a way to try and disrupt. But Hong Kong doesn't have that population uh, base that we go back to that uh, user, user base of 100 million or whatever. Hong Kong doesn't have that. So you, mm. you're, you're, you're not able to build to scale. You're not able to um, depend on this loyal uh, user base to fund you. I think it's very interesting what you just said, because I'm just thinking about all the people I know in the kind of technology startup world. You know, in the early days, say 20, 25 years ago in Hong Kong, it was people selling trading desks to the banks, right? They were, they were I guess, digitizing the trading, you know, the kind of trading desk experience. And then it, it kind of got extrapolated into us buying shares and we had companies like Boom and Eight Securities and all these companies who launched and they, you know, they allow you to basically as a consumer buy stock because the banks were just too slow or they didn't have the mobile apps or they charged too much. So you had all these small nimble players who set up security trading. And then, you know, along came the banks rather reluctantly and slowly. But what I think is interesting here is the banks have set up innovation teams but they don't, this is going to sound very judgmental, which it is, but they don't really seem to have launched anything particularly revolutionary. I think the closest we've got to it is the pay me service from HSBC, which was basically interoperable between all the bank accounts. So you could, you know, go out for a, to a restaurant and initially kind of share the meal with friends through, through an app. And then eventually they launched it for businesses. So it's a bit like a QR, learning from China, using it as a QR code to pay for a business service. Uh, and now they're launching kind of, it seems like shopping catalogs off the back of it. But uh, it doesn't seem, maybe I'm missing something here, but I haven't seen any really revolutionary innovation from here. Maybe people like WeLab, but what the, the companies here tend to do is very quickly go across the border because they need access to the, the volumes of data that you just talked about. Well, that's the, that's the dilemma that the industry is in, right? If you, if you work for one of, the, one of the big banks, right, and you make... Uh, what, 40% of your global revenue out of the city, right? Are you going to allow a colleague or a subsidiary to start a, um, a, a, a moonshot lab that will kill your golden goose? Mm. Probably not, right? Um, so whatever, whatever that you do will have to be an enhancement, complementary to the service that you are, you are currently providing. Because you've got so much writing on it, the 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 the, the cost of disruption it will be greater to you than it is than than the benefits. So right? why haven't the why haven't the big the big tech companies from China come and partnered with the Hong Kong banks in the same way they have successfully with China banks? You know they and launched services off the back of that. Is it just the market is too small for them? It's too overregulated or overbanked, as you said. What's the what's it's the issue? No. It's a city of uh, 8 million people. <laughs> Alipay, yeah, Alipay, but we're damn smart <laughs> and hardworking. Oh, we use Alipay, Alipay is uh, available in, uh, for use in Hong Kong. Um, so is uh, WeChat Pay. But yeah. um, it, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's definitely nice to have that service. And I think any, any business would want to be uh, in, in a place like Hong Kong. But again, we're talking about, we're, we're talking about businesses that, that, um, thrive on hundreds of millions of customers. And from there, they can extract a lot of value out of that um, 
create that network effect. What, what are you going to do with uh, seven and a half million people? Yeah, exactly. Question crossing all of our minds. Um, so let's get into, you, we've mentioned about Hong Kong, but there's a lot of talk here about the, the kind of Greater Bay area, formerly known as the Pearl River Delta, which I think is much more descriptive and poetic. So how do you see that, that, that kind, of, kind of playing out in the fintech world? I mean, we've got people like Tencent just across the border in Shenzhen and, you know, and they, they're obviously listed here and uh, there's big teams here, big teams obviously across the border. Where do you see, is, is there a move to kind of launch services in this space, particularly in, in trade and, you know, all the manufacturing based trade finance? Is there, is there something creative you see coming out of that? That is a that is a very interesting uh, segue, uh, and 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 it's actually a, I think it's a in my opinion it's a it's a very promising uh, future for for Hong Kong really, because that solves the problem that we've been talking about the the the, the small the very small um, uh, population base and market size. So the Greater Bay Area is, uh, for as everybody knows, uh, it's a collection of 11 cities in uh, Guangdong province, including Hong Kong and Macau. So nine cities on the mainland, uh, Hong Kong and Macau, so make, that makes 11. Combined population of uh, estimated about 17 million people. So 10 times more than, bigger than what Hong Kong is. Combined population of uh, roughly 1.7 trillion US dollars. Uh, if it were a, an independent economic entity, it would be somewhere uh, in the 11th or 12th position in the world. By so it's the size States. of what? South Korea, I guess, in terms of population. Uh, bigger than Spain. Bigger than Spain, but South Korea maybe, right? Right. So, so he, it's a huge market. So yeah. um, if, you're a, if you're a business, uh, you know, setting aside FinTech for, for, for the time being, if you're just running a, uh, a small business, um, your, your market size just grew tenfold, right? So if you're running a fintech business, a fintech startup, again, your market size just grew tenfold. It's also one of the most, uh, one of the most affluent uh, population clusters in the country. This is uh, the manufacturing hub of China. This is the factory of the factory of the world, right? Um, some of the wealthiest people and households are there. Some of the largest companies in China are there. So again, this, so that, that's a, a very uh, good testing ground for a lot of services, business, new ideas and new technology. Um, um, and, and what the government is trying to do um, between um, mainland China, Hong Kong and Macau is to conduct a series of experiments with the Greater Bay Area. Now, most of us know that China's economy and currency and capital accounts are closed. Mm -hmm. You are not able to transfer money in and out. If you want to uh, open an account in Beijing, you have to physically fly to Beijing, present you know, everything in triplicate, uh, spend a couple of, uh, you know, a long time and open an account. You have to show that you actually have employment and all that, right? It's very difficult. Trying transfer money out of China is very difficult. Mm. Uh, try and buy insurance living in Guangzhou, buy insurance in uh, Hong Kong. Literally, you had to carry money in your suitcase and walk across the border. Or those right? stripy bags that people used to carry, right? Right. <laughs> try to buy, try to buy uh, a wealth management product. If, if, you, are, if you are a gazillionaire uh, living in Guangzhou and you want to 
um, invest your money in quite short IPO or in, invest in something a little bit more, um, more sophisticated. You just don't have that option. But within the Greater Bay Area, um, a series of experiments are, are ongoing. So something called the Wealth Management Connect, which enables you to be physically in Guangzhou or any of those cities in GBA, buy a, a, a wealth management product with HSBC or any or one of these big banks in Hong Kong without physically leaving Guangzhou and vice versa. You Is this a bit like an application of, because there's always been that kind of stock market connect, right? Where you can have funds from China invest in stock here. You're saying beyond that, it's a wealth management. This is this is beyond that. This is this is okay. wealth. This is wealth management. So you can do the okay. you can do the opposite. You can do the opposite. You can you can sit in Hong Kong and you say, okay, you know what? I want to buy that apartment in Jiangmen because mm. it is about five percent the price in Hong Kong. Mm. Now I want to apply for a loan. How do I mm. apply for? How do I apply for a loan? Can my Hong Kong loan finance my purchase in uh, Jiangmen? Maybe yes, if you if you if you if you are with a with a bank that provides a service, good for you. But if you are not, how do you do it, right? So these are all experiments that are slowly being uh, tested and opened up. And, and these have been run with the big tech companies, the fintech companies we talked about, or these have been run with more established kind of traditional finance. Outfits? So this is a this is across the board. So this is the, these are these are policies that are across the board. So mm. these are policies that are sort of broad macro policies that allow this kind of cross-border investment and transfer of funds to happen. And once that becomes possible, it, be, it becomes really interesting because your Hong Kong-based fintech startup will have the barriers of the capital account of the currency convertibility lowered, right? Mm. Those barriers are, are no longer as uh, onerous as they used to be because all these uh, barriers have been lowered. Now, all, and then you have a, a market that is uh, 10 times the size of, of Hong Kong's. So a lot of possibilities become, yeah, a lot of, you know, a lot of potential. And do you, that's, that's, you know, it's an interesting way of looking. Do you see the, because I talked to a lot of investor crowd too, do you see them seeing the story, buying into the story that you just told in terms of the, you know, opening up to 10 times the size of what they normally see here? Or is this something that they're, they're keen on or they're all a bit nervous because of what happened with their investments in peer-to-peer -peer and then, you know, the failed Ant IPO, which we can get onto later? I think, I think this is a, this is a, a long-term, this is a very long-term thing. Um, and yeah. there are a lot, a lot, a lot of... Um, uh, question in in with its uh, execution mm. um, in the Greater Bay Area. There are there are three different currencies. There's the Hong Kong dollar, which is mm. convertible. There's the Macau Pataka, all right, and then there is the Renminbi. And Renminbi is uh, non-convertible. So in order to make this Greater Bay Area work, it will have to be a, uh, if you will, uh, capital accounts opening light. Uh, sort of like a, 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 a light version of the full opening of the capital accounts within the Greater Bay Area. How is actually going to be done? How is actually going to be executed? Um, it's going to be difficult. But if they can do it, 
they probably can it probably lays the foundation for the opening of the entire uh, Chinese capital accounts, which is what everybody has been bringing for 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 decades. But they but but first they have to figure out how to get these systems to work within a greater Bay Area. It's not going to be easy, right? If you try, for example, if you try driving from here to Zhuhai on the mainland, you actually need three different <laughs> insurance policies to be fully covered. Okay. <laughs> insurance, there's one set of insurance rule. If you have a, if you have a, uh, if you're a driver, if you've got a pillion, if you've got a, a passenger, front seat passenger, there's three different classifications of how that uh, person is insured. Right? They have, this is just one of those very basic um, things, daily life things that you have to figure out to make Greater Bay Area work. But if they but can to me, out, yeah, I mean, that, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. that. That's an interesting point because I guess in, in the insurance world, I mean, all the, the, that sounds to me, it's a great opportunity for some nimble startup to get in there and have some open platform to be able to make these three different types of pillion insurance work, right? You know, can they do something... Yep very uh, open data-ish uh, kind of approach to things. And talking about the, a nice segue to insurance, actually, obviously within the finance world, um, Blums and myself actually a couple of years ago took a whole bunch of European insurers, executives to Shenzhen to kind of, you know, like a Silicon Valley trip. It was going to on a safari to Shenzhen to learn about the latest, greatest things in, in insure tech in China. And they, they left kind of mouths agape. Uh, and uh, you know, had to create products off the back of what they'd seen in China, which was very eye-opening to me. Was you know, taking Europeans to learn from China and create products based on that. Do you are you seeing a lot of that? Where the insurance? I mean, I know you kind of the data element you mentioned. The ability to profile people is very essential insurance, right? The ability to to uh, you know, when you profile somebody's risk, uh, when you underwrite an insurance uh, product seems to be in the hands of the big guys again. Do you see this? Is this an area that they're very strong in as well? I, I know that, you know, we went to see um, WeSure, which is owned by Tencent. And, you know, they're obviously, they were painting us a picture of being able to sell all types of insurance off the back of Tencent's platforms. Like, you know, you're about to take a trip and up pops uh, you know, travel insurance. So are you seeing insurance being very much taken up by the same, the same five companies? Obviously, Ping An is in the insurance business. Like, I guess they lead it, right? Yes, Ping An, Ping An is the biggest player. Um, interestingly, I think I think the the uh, more or less uh, consensus is that the there are a, there's a, a lot that Chinese insurance companies can learn from um, global insurers, like especially the ones in Hong Kong. Um, there, there are a lot of insurance companies in Hong Kong, and they actually offer a broader, uh, a wider selection of policy types, uh, which a lot of Chinese companies, uh, insurance companies are only beginning to, 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 to learn to adapt. Again, I think, I think it's, it's it, my personal feel is that this is grown out of a different kind of environment, right? Mm -hmm. Hong Kong's uh, uh, environment with its population, with its very aging population, uh, some of the longest, you know, longest living, <laughs> Uh, longevity in the world um, has a, 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 a greater uh, selection of, say, health insurance uh, compared with, uh, say, 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 China, which is why um, you do still find a lot of uh, um, 
Chinese households, in addition to trying to store away their their their, their currency elsewhere, also come to Hong Kong to buy buy uh, insurance. Mm. Um, it was not too long ago when something like 40-50% of every new insurance dollar sold in Hong Kong was uh, bought by mainland China customer. Yeah, I remember, I remember going to my insurer and they would, they'd have it in the same building. You could go and have a, a medical checkup in the office next door and then buy an insurance product, which was cleverly disguised as an investment. And there was a, a, a long queue of mainlanders uh, signing up. So I, I think that, that, that got clamped down upon quite quickly. But uh, that's an interesting area because obviously here we have Zhong An, right, which is, uh, I guess, a joint venture between all, all of those big players, right? They launched uh, their task, I guess, of launching new insurance products. Where do you, do you see that? I mean, in your report, they mentioned there's some kind of crazy ones off the back of binge drinking around the World Cup or all kinds of creative things that were going on in the, in the insurance world. Um, but well, where, where do you see that going on? Um, I- one of the one of the more interesting things um, uh, we, we, we've just sort of discovered in in the insurance world is um, this um, crowdsourced kind of um, um, low cost um, common what they call common aid program. Mm-hmm. So it is to allow, for example, for uh, a few of these fintech companies have them. Uh, Baidu has it. Um, uh, Alibaba uh, and and group that definitely has it. Um, they they what well, what they do is they pool together say a hundred million people, and yeah. and for a very small uh, average cost, uh, you provide um, health ins- medical insurance to members. So you basically share the medical bill uh, out of a panel of a uh, hundred hundred twenty different types of uh, illnesses. You share that medical bill across the entire membership, um, and you and it works out that the average member can just needs to pay for a very small amount of money, uh, twenty seven dollars, and you're able. So it's to, a bit. It's a bit like applying the pin door door model to insurance group buying without the, insurance. Without without the uh, competition, without the social. So there's no gamified. There's no gamified social. There's no gamification. You're competing for the best premium. Right. Um, that's interesting. What, what do they call it? What's the name of that in Chinese? I know you were, you were common, you said it was common aid. Does it have a, do you recall Xiang, the name? In uh, N groups is called Xiang Hu Bao. Xiang so, Hu Bao, all right. Yeah, so mutual aid. And now, I mean, let's talk about, uh, we've got, we'll take another five minutes before we open to questions. Because uh, you, you've, you've said you can stand a bit longer, which would be great. Um, one of the things that, you know, is obviously we're in this very balkanized world at the moment, thanks to the previous president of the US and other people, but um, where do you see this, the, the kind of global expansion of, the, of these tech companies? Because we all know that Tencent and Alibaba have a footprint, you know, in, in many, many countries. And they bought, particularly Tencent is very quiet about doing this, but apart from gaming companies, they've bought into e-commerce companies across South, Southeast Asia, India, uh, Europe, they bought into finance companies. Where do you see the kind of global expansion of, of the China offering? Because they've, they've got, like you've just described, they've got very robust models. They've got the population and the data that, they've, that they, they can test stuff on. Obviously, it's a different culture. But where do you see this, this expansion going? And how, is it working? Um, definitely, um, all of the Chinese uh, tech giants are making big push uh, overseas. Um, mm-hmm. They're looking for greenfield businesses. 
Southeast Asia uh, is 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 uh, is is uh, one of the hot areas in the in in the in the past couple of years. Um, some companies like uh, Xiaomi have gone into India uh, for their smartphones. Uh, some companies have made push into Africa and Europe, uh, depending on the products and depending on their businesses. Um, but definitely, um, overseas push international growth is uh, part and parcel of that evolution. But what works in China obviously may not work elsewhere. We 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 talked about how um, Chinese consumers have a propensity to embrace all that is new. That might that is probably true uh, of other uh, a lot of other markets as well. But the uh, sensitivity um, of, uh, for example, um, data privacy may not be shared uh, elsewhere. So obviously in, in, in Europe, um, the data privacy is, is a big thing. Um, so, so you may not be able to roll out the same um, kind of uh, service or roll out the same service, but find the same reception in a market like Europe. But that's interesting is that, I mean, I, I do a lot in the e-commerce space and I've, you know, the Chinese uh, e-commerce players or big players have all bought into Lazada and various, uh, you know, e-commerce companies. And that seems to be working very well. You know, they're, they're applying a lot of their, their learnings from China, not just around payment and escrow and all this, but how to deal with small businesses, how to then get around the live streaming and the marketing. They've got, they seem to have applied a lot, a lot of the cultural norms that apply in Asia of you know seeing people on screens and not being shy about it, using emojis and all that thing, seems to really take off across the whole of Asia. And I guess you know privacy is a, a less of an issue there. But you know you know nobody really cares in this situation. You're buying makeup or or, or uh, you know nappies or whatever it is that you're buying. But, uh, but that's not fintech. But that's not oh, fintech. Right? That's no, that, I understand. That, I understand. Yeah, that's a game. That's a game. But, or that's a, that's but there is a fintech element to it. I mean, there's there's a payment element, right? Where Grab and all these guys, you know, they're they're, they're learning from the, the the China way of managing the payment side of it. Right? Yes, uh, that that serves the, that solves the problem of payment, right? Yeah. But uh, can you can you create? Uh, can you use, for example? Um, Payments in uh, for shopping in Lazada on Lazada. Can you apply that to consumer loans? Yeah, I don't know. Can Good you question. apply that to Can you apply that to asset management? Can you apply that to um, some kind of a mutual mutual aid insurance platform across Indonesia using the same kind of business? I don't know. Possibly not. Yeah, good point. And the, the, maybe the final part I want to ask you about was, I guess, is about blockchain, right? We've you know, in Hong Kong, we've had a lot of, I mean, Hong Kong is a kind of blockchain crypto center, right? Um, being full of opportunists. But uh, I know that in China, it's slightly divorced now, the blockchain and the crypto element. But um, even uh, President Xi said that, uh, you know, we want to seize the opportunity for blockchain in China. And there was a, a big wave of kind of blockchain startups off the back of that. Um, how are you seeing that being applied? I know that Ant in your report it does talk a lot about Ant using blockchain in various forms, you know, quite quietly rather than the kind of, you know, tin banging we get in Hong Kong. But where do you see, is that really being applied successfully or is it just kind of test beds? I think it's a, it's, it's probably at a test bed um, um, 
level. I think I think uh, I, I suspect that our uh, everybody on this call um, there's enough uh, knowledge about um, blockchains that we can we can probably honestly admit that we are still some ways yet from seeing a killer app mm. um, based on blockchain. A lot of it is talked about in financial services, uh, in trade financing, for example, in contracts and all that. Um, and certain elements of it can be applied in you know, one app or the other. But honestly, I, um, I don't know. It might, it might just be, be my lack of, um, might just be my, my ignorance, but I, I don't see a, a killer app out there that is uh, completely riding on, on, on blockchain technology. It's funny you say that because when blockchain first came along, my, my, I went to a few software engineer friends and said, what do you think about blockchain? And they were like, I can build all that stuff in the software I have already. So there didn't seem to be so much of a, a thing there. But is blockchain being used in the digital currency that's being tested at the moment, or is it not really a, a core element of, of the offering? It was. Uh, it, it is supposed to be driven by a certain aspect of uh, 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 blockchain technology. It is. It is, uh, um, it, it is the the the, the, rec the, the record keeping of uh, the record keeping of um, the money flow from A to B to C. Mm. Uh, that is. That is. That is pretty much. That's pretty much it. I think. Excellent. Well, let's. It's six o'clock. So I really appreciate the time that everybody's given us for you and me to chat, but I'm sure there's some pretty good smart questions out there. So uh, maybe you can stay on for another 15, 20 minutes if you're happy to do that. Sure. And uh, I see what I'd like to do is uh, if you have a question, maybe uh, if you haven't typed it in here already, you can uh, put your hand up or whatever. I, maybe I'll take a, a question from here first. Blums, are you still there? I, I guess he's not. Uh, let me see. I'll go into a, a different view. Are you still there, Blums? I think not. Um, see if he had a question. No. Uh, we have a question here from Christoph. Are you still there, Christoph? Hello, Christoph. Would you like to ask your question if you're still there? Can I see you? Please unmute yourself and ask the question if you're still there. If not, I will ask it on your behalf. So Christoph asked, he likes the term overbanked. Is it comparable to overhospitalized? Like the more hospitals a nation needs, the sicker the population. <laughs> Good question. I wish Christoph was here to ask that. That's a witty question. Does that mean that the, the, the more banks there are, the richer the, the city is or the poorer the city is? It's the other way around, I guess. If more hospitals makes you more sick, does more banks make you less rich? I don't quite know that. Maybe he could, he could put the, that's why I like to have the person ask it themselves. Let's do this. There's plenty of people on the call. Uh, I'm not gonna take questions from the chat and then let you call out. So anybody there want to ask a, a question, please uh, unmute yeah. yourself and wave, or who, who do we have who's about introduce yourself and, and ask your question. I'm Julian, it's your long time caller. We Hi. can't hear you very well, Gordon, you're a bit tinny, uh, can you? Uh, yeah, I'll sit a little bit closer. So Eugene, uh, I understand the need for, for uh, uh, being able to move money within the greater Bay Area, and China's making it quite easy uh, to get money in, but what's the point of being able to get money in if I can't get money out? 
Like I'm going to repeat that because it was it was like really bad walkie-talkie uh, sound there. You were saying that um, it's it's easy to move money in within the Greater Bay. I presume you mean specifically into Hong Kong, but what about moving money out? Well, no, I'm actually talking about China. Oh, okay, We're sorry, the other way around. Yeah, so in China, the fact is is that money cannot be money has no value unless I can use it everywhere. Okay, man, you've got to fix your, your microphone, but yeah, if you can move, that you, yeah, are, you heard his question there, Eugene. Is that better? No, not at all. Anyway, let's pass it to Eugene to answer. What was the question? If I understood it correctly, he's saying, you know, it's, uh, you can move money in to China, but how about moving money out? It seems to be the challenge, particularly with this kind of greater bay. And I guess... I guess the segue to that is the fintech world facilitating that in any way. Um, this has got to do with uh, China's currency controls, right? Uh, that's the macro picture, right? Um, can you move? If you want to move money in, you have to show that you have a purpose. You have a reason for doing so. You are either a uh, an employee uh, residing, a resident of the country. Uh, you're doing a business. Um, therefore, you need to invest, you're investing money, or you're bringing money on a personal capacity. And when you leave the country, uh, at the end of your employment, uh, you take the money with you. Uh, if you're an investor, you are able to uh, repatriate your profits or your, the dividends from the investments. There are, there are lots of rules uh, of, of being able to do so. Um, those rules are very onerous, right? If you have, if you use your... Um, salary uh, from China to buy property, for example, which a lot of people do over the years of, you know, 10 years of living in, in, in China, people pick up property and whatever, and you sell that property, you have to pay a tax on the capital gains out of that, out of that uh, because every, every, literally every cent has to be accounted for. So, um, but in the Greater Bay Area, they are trying to make it a lot simpler, uh, uh, less onerous than it is in uh, Beijing or Shanghai. And that is uh, the experiment that we're talking about. Excellent. We have one more question here from William. Are you still on? I, I can't see William. Uh, are you here, William? No, he's not here. All right. Any questions from those of you who are still here, please wave or just lums, you, you've yeah. unmuted yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Eugene, like great presentation. I think my question was around what would be like the one or two things, uh, like changes from a, either a policy or a consumer or market take-up thing that you will think accelerate, will help accelerate the, the benefits from FinTech? Let's use, for example, the GBA as an example. Like what are the one or two things that you think will really unlock a lot of the growth and the benefits being felt by you know, consumers and the market? I think right now, right now, the, um, the the fintech industry, as you know, is going through a bit of a um, reassessment period. Um, the result of the last uh, 10, 15 years of rapid development um, has necessitated the regulators to sort of take a pause and catch up with the, with the rules. Um, we, we talked about a lot of examples about how uh, fintech com tech companies were able to leverage on their 
um, user base to layer on um, uh, services for their customers. But now it, people were never asking the question, are you allowed to do that? Hmm. Right? You've got you've got a, a hundred million uh, customers using your service, and now you decide that because they spend uh, X hours a day on your app, therefore you can you know, sell them an extra extra something. Um, used to be you should just go go ahead and do it, and nobody asks you know is that possible? But now people are asking uh, is that possible? And as that happens, as the rules um, get un unfurled, um, people are taking a wait and see. So the first thing that needs to happen within the Greater Bay Area is for this to settle down, for mm. the rules to be clarified. What can technology companies do? What can fintech companies do? Are you able to land at 50 times leverage or are you supposed to land at three times leverage the way banks are, right? Mm. If you're a fintech company, are you supposed to be regulated like a bank or are you supposed to be regulated like a tech company, right? right. Uh, so that, that's the first, first question uh, that has to be answered. If you're a fintech company, are you allowed to do uh, go from payments into insurance to asset management to loans to whatever or not? Mm. Or does that, does that journey have to stop, some, stop somewhere? So again, that, that, um, that, answer, that needs to be uh, answered. Then the second thing that needs to be done uh, for the Greater Bay Area is to figure out um, the, um, how the existing barriers can be lowered, right? How do three different uh, yeah. currency systems interact with each other? The Hong Kong dollar is a convertible currency. The Macau Pataka is tied, is tied to the Hong Kong dollar. Um, the Yuan is a stronger currency, but it's non-convertible. How mm. do these things, how do these interact with each other? Uh, figure that part out. Um, then, then that will create that, um, that opportunity for fintech companies to really take off. Because otherwise right now, you're, if you are- if you are, if you are uh, by market. Yeah, yeah, you're still working on three different markets, right? Yeah. Yep. So that's great, interesting great because the, um, it, it reminds me of um, when I was a student in in, uh, in uh, China many years ago. They had two currencies already. There was the renminbi for uh, mainland native mainland Chinese, and there was the Huawei Juan, which was uh, the FEC. It was called, which was like a kind of a cushion currency yeah. uh, for buying foreign goods. Do you yeah. think this would be a solution where they introduce a kind of parallel currency, maybe this digital currency? that would, would play across all three territories and be the, the kind of overall currency that we, we trade in? Probably, uh, the, the, the digital currency because, because, of, its, um, because of, of its technology, because of its speed of uh, transmission um, can play that role. Um, you, you know, if you think about it, uh, a lot of our uh, uh, daily lives are already digitalized, right? If you walk into, if you walk somewhere, if you go, if you go across into Guangzhou to, mm. to buy and you want to buy a hamburger or whatever, um, all, that, all that currency conversion is done at the back end, right? As far as you're, as far as you're concerned, you're just, you just take your app and you just swipe uh, whatever. And uh, just like a credit card, you use a credit card to swipe for a, um, a hamburger and that conversion is done in the background. So with digital, with a digital currency that is uh, convertible and 
translatable into uh, Hong Kong dollar or, or the pataka, that would certainly be uh, one of the things. But it's all, I mean, it's all going back to your comment about the, the big guys who run the payment systems. What you've just described already exists with Alipay, with Taobao, right? I buy, a lot of people in Hong Kong buy regularly from Tmall or Taobao. And there's, you know, logistics firms that will deliver it into Hong Kong, but you get it converted automatically into Hong Kong dollars, right? You, you pay, it's already happening on their platform. So they must have access to a lot of data. And, you know, I don't know what kind of fluctuations in there, but there's a lot of currency the exchange going on there. Yep. But you have to be a you have to be an Alipay or a WeChat Pay customer. What if you're not? What if yeah. you're a loyal Octopus Card user? Uh, what if you're uh, if you're what if you're it's it's none of the above? Yeah, interesting. Okay, we got a question here from Villa Villa Kumala. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Uh, you, you guys can hear me. Yes. Yeah, no, so I was wondering more about, uh, sorry, I missed a bit of it. I was a bit late. Apologies. Very interesting discussion. Um, I was wondering, like, you know, because enterprise technology and banks are basically, they have lots of legacy that they invested on. And then I guess the big story is that fintechs come and take over and China has developed, uh, I mean, high volume backend systems for supporting the fintechs. I mean, there, is there any... Um, like technology products or companies that actually come from China and, and go global, or you know that they sell to um, you know Western fintechs, or that I don't know is this you know relevant question for the um, for the report? But I think it's um, that sell to fintech companies. Yeah, I mean, like, is there, is there any? Can you see any technology company coming from China? Because I guess who who develops all the backend technology for? I mean, supporting these fintech um, businesses. I mean, they run on cloud, I suppose. Right, right. But, I, but I, I mean, I, there must be some products out there also, like right. that they use, right? I don't know. So, so uh, N Group uh, provides a uh, white label uh, financial payment system uh, for companies. So, if you are, uh, if you are. Uh, you know, if you if you are in Southeast Asia or or, or, or anywhere any, anywhere in the world, basically, and you want a payment service, you want to start your Kumala uh, Pay Kumala uh, service. That's a good uh, name, actually. I'll go for that one. You can you can you can uh, call up N Group and say, I want you to come in and basically set it up for me. Right, mm -hmm. the entire system, the entire. Uh, the, the the financial infrastructure with all the computing and all the all, all that yeah they do that. Cool. Okay, okay. Isn't this what they're doing uh, in their part? You missed this maybe earlier, Villa, but um, it, this is what they're doing in their partnership with banks, I guess, from the report available at research.scmp.com. Um, is that it actually talks that the, the big uh, tech companies actually went or go collaborate with banks and say, I've got the technology, I've got the payment mechanisms, I've got the the claims, uh, you know, risk reduction software, I've got the profiling, all that information. I can plug it into your banking services and I'll be your tech partner, right? This is this is what they're doing already, right? Yep. Yep. So I get I guess Villa's comment is will they can they take that then and expand overseas and offer it to banks and insurance firms and other markets? They are, they, they already are. Um, they already I think are. One, yeah. one of the biggest one of the biggest actually uh, growth areas for, for N group is uh, 
is this uh, this kind of a white label uh, system. I think they are already um, uh, being applied in uh, several markets in Southeast Asia. Okay. Excellent. Let's take let's take one more question. Do we have one more question there? Do I see anybody with a roaring task a question? No, I don't see anybody asking a question. Your room's getting very dark there, Eugene. So I, I want to ask a, uh, maybe a question, and then um, there we go. A question, and then maybe you know where people can find you, but. Um, you, uh, earlier on, before we started this call, you were, you were busy putting a child to bed or whatever. Uh, I've also got some young children. Where do you think, when they're you know, in their 20s, what do you think is going to be their, their banking experience? So they're going to be, is it all going to be really cool and really smooth, a bit like ordering, ordering you know, a gift for a friend online? Where do you see this is all going to be going? You know, I know it's hard to predict, but it's moving so fast and you know, pushed even faster by things like COVID. Where do you think our children are going to be experiencing? How are they going to experience all of this? I hope they will, they will have a much smoother and more efficient and faster experience than, than, than we have. Um, depending, again, depending on where they, where, where they live. Um, this part of the world uh, in Asia, close to China, uh, it will probably be uh, very fast. Um, it will definitely be virtual, digital, and cashless. Um, hopefully, uh, by that time, um, the Chinese currency will be convertible, um, and then we won't need to go through triplicate applications to move money in or out of the, of the country. Um, the tremendous amount of wealth uh, from the Chinese economy will probably be released um, and it will have a lot to the world, and it will have a lot of um, implications for asset prices, um, uh, property prices uh, around the world. Um, yeah. Excellent. Okay. I mean, it's hard to predict, of course, right? I mean, currencies might not exist as, as we understand them. Uh, we might be going to a barter economy all over again. Um, where I know you're, you know, if to find you, basically all they have to do is go and search for Eugene Tang at SMP and you, you pop up on the search engine results, right? Where can people, what's the best way for people to find you? Just that way or do you have a preferred, do you want to share your profile in the, in the chat box there on LinkedIn? You're, you're yeah, LinkedIn. I'll share my, I'll share my, my LinkedIn profile uh, or find me via email. Thank you very much. It's been, uh, you know, I'm not an expert in this field, but it covers a lot of areas that I work in. And it's been very, uh, you know, I only need to read the report and to talk to you about it a lot more. Uh, I have put a link in there to the LinkedIn group for Web Wednesday. So what I do now is I record these things and uh, share them in that group. So anybody who's on this call that isn't a member, click on that link, join the, the group, and you'll be able to either watch the video or listen to the what's now called podcast on SoundCloud. But anyway, thanks very much to everybody. And thank you, Eugene. Thank you very much. Good evening. Stay thanks, safe. Napoleon. Thanks, Eugene. Thank you. Good. Good, guys.